Hello, this is Brian Scuttle at Sonic Cinema. One of my very favorite movies and probably the best movie I will see at Fantasia Fest is Amelia Moses's uh, horror thriller um, called Bleed With Me. It plays first on August 26th and then again on September 1st. I had a chance to talk to Amelia Moses as well as the lead actresses in the film, Lee Marshall and Lauren Beatty, about their work on the film, and I hope you enjoy those interviews. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, talk to me today. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, first of all, let me say I absolutely love this film. Uh, thank you. I, I actually was re-watching it before uh, getting on here because I wanted to re-familiarize myself with it before starting to uh, talk to you about it. And uh, what what was the inspiration behind the movie? Yeah, so it feels weird to say, but part of it with coming up with the idea was like a little bit financial because I really knew I wanted to make um, my first feature, but I had just finished film school and uh, I knew I wasn't going to be given a million bucks, basically. <laughs> so I was like, okay, what can I make that's very contained and, you know, done on, on like a micro budget? And so it was like, okay, one character, sorry, one location, three characters. Um, and then I guess in the back of my mind, I, I had this idea of like the dynamic between a single person and a couple in this kind of um, remote location and what kind of dynamics would come out of that. Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of the more like initial idea. And it's kind of like, does the couple then have an ulterior motive? And then it was kind of thinking about what that ulterior motive would be or, you know, um, but I also knew I wanted to make something kind of psychological and from one person's perspective and the way we can kind yeah. of like distort that narrative a bit. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I do really love about this film is the fact that the, the, the psychological elements of it are so, are so important to the overall narrative and how well it works. I mean, you, you deal with post-traumatic stress, you deal with, uh, trauma to a certain extent there's a little bit of gaslighting as well but also mm -hmm. uh one of the things that was so striking to me is that there are also as the story progresses and you start to sort of figure out more and more about emily and rowan there's also an element of codependency between the two that comes mm -hmm. into play as well and um i'm i'm kind of wondering sort of like where did where did the idea for that dynamic in particular come from? Yeah, I mean, there was actually a lot of variations within the script. I knew the kind of earlier versions were very much from like wrote like it was obviously from Rowan's perspective of the film still, but like looking at the the relationship more one sided. Mm -hmm. So I knew kind of Rowan very much idealized Emily, and the idea we kind of like. Um, put the people around us on a bit of a pedestal and kind of go, oh, well, they have everything that I don't have. Yeah. You know, this kind of comparison that I think we can all do. And, oh, if I only had a good boyfriend and this and that, I would be happy, mm -hmm. which is obviously, that's a complete fallacy. But um, those are the kind of ideas that were there. And then I guess, like, as the scripts went on, Emily's character became more and more developed. And then it very much became kind of like the two of them together. Mm -hmm. And it was really like the last few revisions of the script where the codependency stuff, I think, really came forward a lot more. Because mm -hmm. um, I worked with a script consultant who kind of wanted to bring that out more. And I think it was a really good 
idea um, about how they both kind of need each other and like they kind of complement each other in a pretty fucked up way, but they kind of do because, you know, Emily wants to be needed and Rowan just really thinks she, you know, Emily kind of like, I mean, gets off on is the wrong word because I don't think it's sexual, but like um, she likes that Rowan admires her. Yeah. And she like, she takes that in and yeah. it means something to her versus just like, who is this person, you know? And so um, they are codependent, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's kind of an interesting idea because I feel like I've seen that in a lot in female friendships, mm-hmm. um, whether my own or other people, like it can be this really intense experience sometimes um, where you do kind of, it gets complicated and it's not romantic or sexual, but there's these really intimate things that are still present in that relationship. Yeah, and I think I I think one of the reasons this movie works so well is because of the fact that even as we come to know more and more about Emily and we still empathize with her for a great deal, not necessarily just because of what we learn about her past, but just because of the fact that she has these moments where it's like you you see that there's a vulnerability to her character Mm-hmm. The same way there is with Ronan and or Rowan, sorry. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I that I think that's one of the reasons this movie is as effective as it is. Yeah, for sure. And I think I remember writing an early director statement or something. The idea of like both women are kind of equally obsessed with each other, but for completely different reasons mm-hmm. um, too. And so I think um, and Emily's vulnerability doesn't obviously what she is doing or not doing or however you want to interpret it is still intensely fucked up but she she does have a vulnerability that Mm -hmm. is kind of equivalent to Rowan and both women have kind of done bad things to each other you know Mm -hmm. um what was what was the uh how what was the process of working with your uh lead actresses through this and how how what what were there any particular um, challenges that they had to, they experienced in helping bring this dynamic to life? Yeah, well, I mean, I was lucky because I'd worked with Lee Marshall before. She was in a short film I did um, a while ago, a couple years ago. And um, so her and I already kind of had a working relationship and a trust built there. And um, I got a sense of the way she worked and stuff. Um, And then Lauren... She didn't audition either. I met her through a mutual friend and she helped out on like a kind of little teaser we did for a, for a grant application. And I was like, wow, this girl's, you know, this woman's really good mm-hmm. and could really embody the character. Um, and I guess the way I like to work with actors in those early stages is just to like talk as much as possible and just kind of like go through the script and talk with the characters and just kind of just kind of a keep a conversation going to kind of create that foundation to then, you know, go from there. Cause on set, you want to have a bit of spontaneity, but you really want to have that base um, of like, you know, um, establishing these things. And then I think like the film, it's hard for me to say, cause it's been so many variations, but definitely like the intention was to kind of keep it fairly ambiguous. I think in the film, it ends up feeling pretty certain that Emily is doing something, but maybe to what degree and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. Um, but my, my idea behind that for, for um, I think at one point Lauren was like, 
is she actually doing this? And I said, you decide and don't tell me because like you can play it how you want to play it. Mm-hmm. But because the film's from Rowan's perspective, I needed to kind of stay in that perspective yeah, um, and stay more Rowan. So I think like I worked a lot more with Lee um, and kind of let Lauren do her own thing because I just felt she's a, a bit of an enigma and the film has to see her that way. So kind of, I had to have that distance a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also really like actors to kind of let them make their own decisions too about the characters because I'm thinking about 20 different things. They're just thinking about the characters. So mm-hmm. usually they're going to have a better intuition about, um, about those characters. And so I'd like to kind of leave things open for their own kind of um, additions, I guess. Okay. Yeah. What were what were some of the challenges that you uh, came up or came across when it came to telling this story and in sort of the way that you told this story? I don't know. I mean, definitely. I don't know if this is kind of what you're touching on, but the it was a very t- teeny budget, and that doesn't mean you can't make good art on a small budget. Yeah. But even something like the amount of days you have to shoot is like a huge thing. So when you're really rushing through stuff, it can be, um, it can be difficult. Cause you're like, are we getting it? But we have to move on. Cause mm-hmm. we just have so much stuff to shoot. And I had never done a feature before, obviously. And so my worry was really like everything tying together, you know, because in a short, you can really visualize everything at once because you're like, okay, it's only like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I can kind of see the whole picture, but with a feature, you, kind of get lost a little bit so I was very worried about getting lost in the narrative um and most directors would want to shoot in order it never fucking happens that way because you're just like scheduling and all these things and the more the schedule went on the more I was like wow this is completely out of order like Mm -hmm. nothing was in order um but luckily I had my editor on set and so um we were able to kind of have some conversations and look over some stuff together and if there was something he felt like we were missing um, overall, there wasn't any kind of huge issues with that, but I think I really wanted, I didn't want to get lost in it. And so the other thing too, was like, I kind of split up the script into like five sections with like a keyword for Ro- where Rowan was at. Cause again, mm-hmm. it's fully from her perspective. So whenever I was like, okay, where are we in the film? I'm like, okay, we're in the paranoia stage or we're in this stage, you know, mm-hmm. to kind of anything to kind of simplify the process because it's very overwhelming yeah. and you're just like, okay, there's so much shit going on. So how do you, I guess the challenge is like, how do you stay true to, you know, um, the script and the story and make sure you're getting those building blocks um, and making sure you have the foundation of a good script. I think I really learned that, that um, if you, whenever you're lost, the script is there to guide you. So if you've taken that time to do that good work, in the first place and have the script at a good place, then you kind of are able to like lean back on that whenever you're a bit lost, knowing that then, then you'll be in the edit and you're like, Oh, wait a second. It all, we shot out of order, but there was an order that was intended and here it's how it all plays out and stuff. So that was a long winded answer. That's all right. Uh, were there any particular films that you were thinking about and sort of took into the making and uh, developing of this one? Yeah, so one of the really early inspirations, um, which is a very different film stylistically, but I had seen it around the time that I started writing, was Baghead by the Duplass Brothers, um, which is much more like a mumblecore film. Mm -hmm. But there was something about just like spending time with these characters in a location where it just kind of took its time and stuff. And so I kind of like that aspect of it. And 
the handheld camera in my film is kind of a leftover from that early inspiration, even though stylistically it's like very, mm. very different. And a film I'd seen at Fantasia actually in like 2016, I think the invitation um, was like, has always been like a huge inspiration for me since seeing that film. Cause like that has a similar pacing where it just like really takes its time, mm-hmm. but you're very unsettled. And then it's really in like the last 20 minutes that things become much more chaotic. So I kind of liked that structure um, and like some kind of visual similarities and stuff. And then the third film was, would probably be Antichrist by mm-hmm. Lars Rentria because of just like the way that cabin just feels like death sometimes, <laughs> like the kind of location yeah. and like the, the feeling of that film. And it's funny because I feel like that's not really considered a horror film, but it totally is in the yeah. way that's still like the kind of cabin in the woods thing and yeah. like people losing their mind out in the woods and like mm-hmm. things turning up to 11, like it has all those elements. So um, and visually, that was kind of a reference point too. Mm-hmm. Who who are uh, some of who are who are some of your favorite filmmakers to watch? Yeah, um, I feel like these are all really obvious answers, but um, I love David Cronenberg a lot mm-hmm. um, and Lynch a lot too, um, just because they they do a lot of really good like world building. Um, that's something you know where it's not like world building as in like we're on an alien yeah, planet, yeah, but like yeah. the, the construction of it is like, you're like, mm-hmm. okay, someone is creating a space for this to exist in. Yeah. Um, I think they're both really good at that. And David Lynch is obviously incredible like atmosphere as well. And again, he's a director where he wouldn't really be considered a horror director, but to some extent, some of his oh, yeah. scenes <laughs> have that feeling completely where you're like, this is a fucking horror movie. Like, mm. you know, like that scene in Mulholland Drive or whatever is like the most obvious one, but when they go behind the diner and the like yeah. creatures there and you're like, that is so scary. It's this really terrifying scene and his sense of dread where you're just like, something bad is going to happen mm-hmm. and you feel it really intensely. And I think that's a really cool aspect of horror is like creating that tone where you're just like, I'm uncomfortable, but I don't know why. And um, I think that's an interesting thing to explore. So yeah, those are two ones. I do like uh, Karin Kasuma as well, who did The Invitation and Jennifer's Body. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, talk to me today. Yeah, no problem. And congratulations. It's, it's really a terrific film. Thank and you. <laughs> I, I absolutely loved it. And I know I'm not the only person who's watched it who feels that way. Mm-hmm. So. Thank you so much. No, that means a lot. No Are problem. you seeing a lot of films at Fantasia? Or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, nice. I've gotten to, you know, I, I've, I, you know, there are only so many hours in the day, but I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I've gotten to quite a few of them. So fantastic watching them. So thankfully, thankfully we've had the, uh, we've had access to them for about since pretty much the beginning of the month so you know it's time to yeah yeah a little bit of time to ramp up to and then you know so once it's once it's going it's not quite as overwhelming so yeah yeah totally but yeah thank you very much for enjoy yeah thanks okay bye good luck bye well as i was uh as as i was saying um i i really love the film it's one of my favorite films that I uh, have seen for the fest and I'm I know I'm not the only person who feels that way and I I'm kind of curious to go ahead and start off uh what was 
what was it about this um, story that appealed to you, to both of you? Wow, yeah. Well, first, thank you so much for those yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's um, so wonderful to hear that you had such a great experience watching the film, because I think both of us had a great experience making the film. <laughs> so it's good that that translated. Um, I was really attracted to the story, first and foremost, because of Amelia Moses, our director. I had um, worked with her on a on short film called Undress Me that that did really well in the festival circuit. And that was the first time I met her. I actually met her in the audition room when I auditioned for that part. Mm -hmm. And I just fell in love with her style of storytelling and creating. And um, when she told me about this feature, I just knew that I had to do it. Like, I mean, it was if she was directing it, I would do it. And uh, I, I, I honestly, I say to Amelia a lot that like, she's the only director that could get me to walk barefoot in the snow to cover <laughs> myself in blood and gelatin. Like, um, you know, she's a special person. And I think that's what brought me to the project. Uh, yeah, also, thank you for the kind words. That's amazing to hear. Um, I think that like we, we think this movie is so special and we, we had such an insane and incredible experience on it. So it's really, it's really amazing to see some of the reviews coming in and, and hearing people's thoughts and seeing that like what we kind of felt about it really translated. So that's really awesome. Um, yeah, for me personally, sorry, someone is hammering next door. <laughs> really Oops, I think they heard me. Okay. Um, so for me personally, I actually um, met Amelia working on, uh, we were both helping a friend of mine on a short film uh, about four years ago, and we met on the set of that, and, uh, sorry, this is insane, and she, um, she, someone's literally like building a cabin beside me, um, she, she had asked me if I would, um, help her with sort of like a teaser for um, a feature film concept that she had. Um, and I was in Montreal at the time and I helped her out with that. And I just had such a blast even helping her with this little kind of initial teaser of the concept that they were filming. Mm -hmm. um, so then when she came back to me years later and said like, Hey, remember that, <laughs> that little teaser you helped me shoot in Montreal? Like, I wrote the whole feature and guess what? We got funding and we're making the movie. Do you want to come on board and play the role that we, you know, had you shoot the teaser as? And I was just a hundred percent on board from the second she called me. Um, Cause again, like, like Lee said, um, she's such a special person and she has such a clear vision and such a, um, a unique vision. And I think it's just her voice is, is, so needed um mm -hmm. in cinema i believe and just for um uh for women especially mm -hmm. um so as soon as she was like we're doing this do you want to be a part of it i was just like no questions asked 100 percent. i'm in mm -hmm. <laughs> i remember shooting that teaser and it's actually just for some background for brian um we the scene that we shot in the teaser remember um yeah. it was um like when we were getting drunk and playing cards yeah. and we were doing like a bunch of um sort of ad-libbing and it's great because that energy from the teaser that we shot ended up really translating in that final yeah. uh, scene in the film where we're at the table playing cards getting drunk mm -hmm. so yeah. Really yeah. Did, yeah but we shot the teaser like two years before we shot the film so that's really funny 
Yeah. And it was a different Brendan and yeah. Yeah. Same us though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. What were some of the uh, challenges that you got, that you two uh, had in getting in sort of getting into the heads of these characters because of the fact that this, this, this movie is so one of the things that I love about this movie is that it, there, there it leaves a lot of ambiguity for a good portion of it. And even, even at the end, we're not entirely sure how much we can believe what we're seeing and what the characters are experiencing as real or not. And what were some of the challenges when it came to uh, getting into these characters? Um, I can, I can take the lead on this one. You take it. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, Emily's character is pretty ambiguous. Um, and I think, personally, I, I'd always wanted to sort of play a role that almost had a bit more of like a sinister um, feeling to it. Mm-hmm. I, I was being typecast, I think, a lot in sort of these like meek roles, um, you know, like the girl next door, the friend, the lead, the, you know, just nothing that um, kind of challenged me a bit more. And so I was, I was very interested in that. And it definitely was a challenge um, because it was something different from what I'd been typecast in. Um, But it was such a welcome challenge for me personally. I, I had such um, a great time sort of really like delving into um, my personal backstory that I created for this character. And I remember near the beginning, after I had read the full script, I was like immediately just like captivated by the story. But I, I asked Amelia because I pers- myself as like an audience member at that time, I had so many questions and I was like, is she actually doing this? Like, oh my God, like what's, what's happening? Like, is she, why would she do that to her friend? And like, is this actually happening? And Amelia had said to me, like the the way that they had crafted the story and the way that they were going to shoot the film was really from Rowan's perspective. Mm -hmm. So she had said to me, you decide. Like it's, it's really like, that's the kind of really cool thing about this film too, is because it's shot from Rowan's perspective. um, I could really have whatever backstory I wanted and the film was still going to be the film. So she, she sort of let me make those choices and we did have um, conversations about it, obviously. Um, But for the most part, like she really let me have the freedom to, kind of decide really what her backstory was and whether I wanted her to be the insane monster that Rowan um, kind of paints her to be or whether I want her to be innocent or whether I want it to be somewhere in the middle. Um, And that's kind of what I personally went with was something in between those two. so it, it was definitely a challenge. Also, physically, I had a broken leg at the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> so um, about two months before we started shooting, I was in um, a very terrible accident on vacation in Mexico. Um, and I ended up having to stay there for almost a month. Um, I, yeah, I basically, like, uh, tore up my leg pretty badly, broke it, 
and um, had an extensive surgery down there. And so when that happened, I remember calling Amelia and saying, look, the, the surgeon here told me it'll take two months for me to be able to walk normally with the cast. And it was exactly two months till we started shooting. And I was like, I was expecting her to fully just say to me, you know what, we're going to have to find someone else. It's just, it's going to be too hard. And luckily, and just another reason why Amelia is an amazing person and director, she said, how can we make this work? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it was like, it was physically challenging for me, but I, um, we, we made it work and we wrote some of it into the script Mm -hmm. and, uh, it was an amazing experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You and your broken foot, you were such a champion <laughs> on set with all the snow and like, oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like you, Lauren, in the sense that I love a good backstory. I like to be a bit nerdy about it and like write out things and like plan yeah. the whole like, I don't make decisions about how I'm going to play the scene at all, but I do like to take a lot of time to think about where has this character been before they arrive on scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did do a lot of thinking about that. Um, what really attracted to me to Rowan was how um, she kind of is a victim, but she's also a villain at the same time. I like that kind of dichotomy in her. Um, and I found that really interesting, especially because like Lauren, I often get typecast in sort of meeker uh soft, uh, unaggressive roles. So it was really exciting to have something different in Rowan to play. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think so much of it just came from being together on set and playing off of each other. Lauren is very talented and very beautiful. So it's very easy to play a character who admires and, uh, you know, respects her because I do as a person. Um, So yeah, I, I think, I think so much of it was really just being able to be together in the moment and kind of play and see what came out uh, on the day. I think one of the things that is that really strikes me the hardest when it comes to this movie is there's a, I mean, there's not only a natural level of intimacy that you expect when characters are in a secluded environment like the three are in the movie, but when it comes to especially Rowan and Emily, there's almost a in it on top of all the other emotions that we see, there's also a codependency that both of them have towards one another because I mean Rowan Rowan obviously admires Emily, but at the same time we, we come to find out that Emily needs um Rowan not necessarily for and not necessarily explicitly for the reasons that uh Rowan is becoming very uncomfortable when it comes to Emily. And I think that dynamic really plays extremely well in the uh movie in general. Yeah, I think that um where my code codependency sort of um the sense that you get from Emily that she also needs Rowan um, definitely came a lot from um, the backstory that I had created for her as well. Um, uh, Amelia and I had touched on that um, Emily 
has Munchausen by proxy disorder. Um, and this sort of stems from um, her losing her younger sister mm-hmm. at, a, at a young age. And the, you know, sort of the, the story I created around that was that um, she had really been acting as her younger sister's caretaker and had really taken on that role and felt, um, you know, that was her purpose and she was really needed as this caretaker. Um, so when she lost her sister, there was this void that was created and mm-hmm. she started to seek that out in her female friendships. Um, so this is sort of like a pattern um, is what I had, you know, my story was for my character is that, you know, she has sort of um, manipulated female friends of hers in the past, um, not in a very sinister way, but enough to make them um, sort of manipulated them enough to make them dependent on her in a way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she needs that from another person. So in turn, it's a codependency weirdly for her as well. Um, so Rowan is like another example of mm-hmm. that and an example that, you know, um, is a bit different from the, the ones in, in the past. Um, I feel like I should say something, but I can't remember the question. <laughs> no, that's fine. It, it was it was about uh, the the shared codependency that the right. characters feel for one another. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Rowan. I mean, I am generally a pretty happy person, and Rowan isn't. So mm-hmm. that was a really difficult, but but challenging and exciting place to go as an actor. Um, I think. For Rowan, a lot of her unhappiness comes from a feeling that she has no control. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of the reason why she self-inflicts pain um, in the past. And and it's part of the reason why she's so desperate for love uh, from somebody else, because she doesn't feel it for herself. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, for her, like, Emily is just this, this son um, and that that light like shining on her she can't she can't turn away from it um so for sure I mean I think maybe more than was even obvious in the film because the film really takes place in one location um yeah Rowan kind of orbits uh around Emily's son um so for sure there's like a major codependency there just on different in different ways for both of the characters yeah was there a feeling of um, claustrophobia? I, I would think that being stuck with <laughs> stuck in that basic area uh, for for constant, it, you get a little claustrophobic, and the I I can imagine that would be a bit of a challenge when it comes to uh, playing a movie like this, especially since so much of it is psychological. <laughs> It's so funny that you say that because ever since the pandemic started and we've all been in lockdown, I was like, if this had happened before the film, we would have had such good training because we all know what it's like to be stuck inside now. Um, But yeah, I mean, actually, like I was coming onto set with um, a lot of great friends and the crew, as well as like so much love for the cast that... I mean, if I had to pick a bunch of people to be stuck in a cabin with, like, these are the people. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think also for me as an actor, it was very helpful to feel, to really feel that claustrophobia 
like it was real. Like I didn't have to really think about how to add that to my acting because it was just already part of what we were living. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it and it made the the you know the process of creating something so intense in like a really interesting way that I don't think you would experience on a larger set where you had multiple locations and like a much bigger crew. So there was an intimacy um, that came out of the experience, and I think that intimacy also comes across in, in the in the film itself that this this really, um, you know, close relationship between the characters Mm -hmm. came through that condensed space of being together. Yeah, it almost, um, I like speaking for myself, at least it it felt like um, it really naturally sort of heightened the tension Mm -hmm. between all the characters, because we were, we were really stuck together, you know, like we, there was this like overarching sense of like captivity, <laughs> you know, like we were, we were stuck there for, mm-hmm. um, even when we had, you know, days off where we weren't shooting, we were stuck there. Cause it, it was like, it was the, the butthole of winter when we were there, it was like, nothing you've ever seen before it was the most snow they'd had in I think they said 20 years yeah it was there and you know it was a a very um small town there's like one guy that drives a a, like a a plow around the streets and like if he if he plowed the roads that day then great and if he didn't then Mm -hmm. you just figure it out (laughs) so it was there was a sense of you know this like urgency but also this um stillness and just like attention that was just naturally there which I think really like lended itself to the film Mm -hmm. yeah had had you done any previous work in horror where there's a noticeable difference in doing something more psychological versus something that is a bit more visceral about a bit more physical Mm. um so I had done actually a couple films that would be horror genre so I had done um a feature film oh gosh I can't remember how many years ago now but um it's called pay the ghost and then I did another I did actually um the last installation of the saw franchise I had a small part on that and those were both um very much reliant on sort of the like physical mm-hmm. horror. Um, so in those cases, I guess, you know, you really just trust the director to tell you like, oh, that that looks great. You know, like we we got what we needed. You know, your scream was loud enough. Your, your terror was scary enough and great. Like, let's move on. But I think with, with a film like this, that's more of a psychological horror and a slow burn, you really have to... Um, trust the director and trust yourself that you you know the the backstory of your character enough and you you know the the relationship and their like their motives mm-hmm. well enough that it's it's just gonna translate on on screen and it's kind of a scary thing because you're not relying constantly on blood and gore and stuff like that you have to rely more on yourself and your mm-hmm. your know the work that you've done um but now speaking from experience I think it's uh it's so much more rewarding to Mm -hmm. be a part of a horror like this 
where you sort of, you see that gradual build of the horror um, and see how that translates on film. It's, it's really amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't have as much experience working in horror as Lauren does. I, I did Amelia's Body Horror short, um, but it's interesting, like, I think as an actor, it's such a fun challenge to play something like this, but in having seen the final product, I also think so much of why it's successful is all the other elements and other artists who've collaborated, whether it's, you know, Steph Bravano and her amazing production design to create this atmosphere and this almost another character that is the cabin, mm -hmm. right? Or, you know, amazing editing from Matthias Graham, all the cinematography by Renee Arsenault. Um, and we have amazing uh, practical effects from Kay Adelaide as well. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm not forgetting anyone there, but there was just such a stellar team. Um, oh, my, the music. How could I forget oh the God. music <laughs> from Bob and Dom that they just did an incredible job. Um, and I think with horror, maybe more so than some other kinds of films, it really is such a collaborative process. And especially for a slow burn, because, you know, we can act our hearts out, but if mm. the music and the visuals and, and everything aren't there to support us, then people will not keep watching. And so, yeah. um, you know, we really have to take our hats off to the team for, for making us look so good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I second that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for uh, joining me tonight. I'm glad we were able to uh, set this up. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Yeah. Thank you so thank much for you. And uh, good luck with the. Are you Are you guys doing the uh, Q and A after the movie tomorrow night? Yes, we yeah. are. We are okay. eight thirty, right? Yes, I think yes, it <laughs> is eight thirty. Yeah, All yeah. Right. Well, I hope it's well received. I'm fairly certain it's going to be well received. It's mixed. <laughs> extremely good movie but uh yeah thank you very much for your time